the Powerful Nonsense Podcast. Learn everything you need to know to make a living outside the 9-to-5 grind and crush it at life. You'll learn from inspirational guests and in-depth discussions. Go from employee to entrepreneur and start creating a life you love and still pay the bills. So here are your hosts, Wayne Ingram and Jem Yildiz. Let's get on with the show! This podcast is sponsored by the University of Northampton, the first UK university to be awarded the Ashoka U Changemaker Campus status in recognition for their commitment to social entrepreneurship. Blink, and you would have missed it. Missed what? British summer. It's truly, well and truly over. I thought we've got like a bit of an Indian summer, they're saying. I don't know what that means. Yeah, but it's still pretty chilly. I turned my heating on the other day. I am wearing trousers, to be honest. And yeah, if when Jem's wearing trousers, you know it's cold. Because <laughs> not, not, I'm, not I'm not going there. <laughs> I'm refusing. <laughs> I am wearing trousers right now. <laughs> For the record, he does usually wear something on the bottom half. <laughs> Even during the summer. <laughs> I hope, anyway. <laughs> anyway... Welcome to Powerful Nonsense. Uh, for those joining us for the first time... Where have you been? Where have you been? We're episode 70-something. <laughs> <laughs> We're nearly at episode 80. You've missed a lot. You've got a lot of catching up to do. But Skip the first 20. We didn't have a clue what we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> so for those joining us for the first time, I am Wayne Ingram, and this is... Gem Yildiz. Um, and we got a great interview lined up today yeah this one is awesome with amy ostriker which is an awesome name it is it's pretty badass I'm pretty jealous of that name ostriker. <laughs> um, and she has got what is uh, can only be described as a bloody incredible story it's so incredible that you actually sometimes is it actually true did this actually happen did this all these things happen to one person and she's come out amazing like at the mm-hmm. end of it mm-hmm. and so positive mm-hmm. as you will hear in the interview such a positive but bubble of energy bubble of energy energy bubble creative Just... force <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so quite a quite this tale yeah i think if you're somebody who's who's maybe got a couple of excuses for why or why you're not doing something i think she's an example of like being able to really push through mm-hmm. setbacks over and over again mm-hmm. so a true um a true case study of um, post-traumatic growth resilience big time so we will allow Amy to explain her story to you so without further ado here we have Amy Ostriker so Amy welcome to the Powerful Nonsense show hello so could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself I know your story is quite amazing but if you can maybe sum it up In a shorter way, if that's possible. (laughs) Okay. Well, um, you know, I grew up as a musical theater geek, and that was what I thought I wanted to do. And then I didn't expect that my senior year of high school, my stomach exploded from a random blood clot, and I woke up from a coma. I couldn't eat or drink for about six of the past 10 years. I found out my stomach exploded. And after 27 surgeries, I was reconstructed and I can eat and everything's great now. But obviously that was a pretty tricky time in my life. Um, So to get through, since, you know, I had never been sick before, 
I didn't really know how to identify as, you know, a patient or a victim. So I got through through just staying true to what had always inspired me before, which was, you know, creativity and finding some way to express myself. So just naturally, you know, I kept singing and creating and writing and and producing things and what I didn't realize till after is that creativity is sort of what kept not only my sanity but it made me remember who I was even with this terrible medical stuff that was going on so basically you know 10 years later now that I'm sort of on the other side I've been you know using everything I've created and obviously everything I've learned from this and bring it all together and my whole is to just sort of keep sharing my story and my art and what I've done with it and make an impact. In so, a nutshell, the cliff notes. <laughs> so, so we're going to give our audience just a moment to just take in what you just said there. Coma, stomach exploded, that 27 yeah. operations. I mean, what was going through your head when you actually came out of that coma? Um, well, it's interesting. You know, a lot of people ask me what if I saw anything or dreamed anything <laughs> in my coma. Um, you know, I was so sedated coming out of my coma. First of all, when I was in my coma, I had a lot of dreams of being underwater and just very, um, very fantastical things. But um, coming out of my coma, you know, I had very fuzzy memories of, um, you know, things people said. You know, I was also sexually abused right before I got sick, uh, another thing. So when I woke up, I still was dealing with that. So, you know, to wake up in a new body where I could only see the ceiling and suddenly I'm hooked up to IVs, you know, I really woke up like I, you know, was in someone else's life. Um, but when I was coming out, I... I um, the amazing thing was, in a way, I felt safe because, you know, right before my coma, when I had been abused, it was such a scary time for me. You know, I was so anxious and I didn't know what was wrong with me. You know, at that time, I had never heard of PTSD or anything like that. I just thought something was wrong with me. Um, so, in a way, waking up, I almost felt safe, like a little protected, like, wow, this was a crazy time in my life and now I'm I'm formally healing. So that was when all, you know, my thoughts really started to come together. And I, you know, I talk a lot about coming out of a coma, the world felt new. Like it was very scary. I didn't know what was happening to me. But in a way, I felt like a child sort of rediscovering the world again. You know, like um, things like, you know, you appreciated the little things. You know, I woke up and I wasn't allowed to eat or drink anything and I remember the first time they let me you know splash water on my face again I cried because I forgot what water felt like and then you know the day I was finally well enough to be taken in a wheelchair outside I remember just taking a breath and seeing the sun and I just you know I realized wow I never realized how beautiful the sun is you know so everything took on a new importance and it almost felt like I, I appreciated you know sort of the you know the fragile state of my body and and just you know I really did appreciate everything more as tacky as that sounds and then just funny things coming out of my coma like you know I was so out of it I tried taking bites of my brothers because I thought they were pieces of fruit and things like <laughs> that but but there was like a, an innocence to it so mm. Lots of discoveries. <laughs> and, and how long were you in for in the coma for? And how long did it feel like you're in the coma for? 
Oh, well, the second question, I had no answer. I mean, I I woke up and I the first thing I did was whine at my mother why I couldn't go to college. You know, I had just gotten my college acceptance letters. I had no perspective. But I was in a coma for a few good months. Wow. Um, it happened two weeks before my senior prom of high school. And I woke up towards the end of the summer. Um, but my mother always says on Mother's Day, I squeezed her hand. So that Aww. made me have, you know, I don't remember any of that, but, um. <laughs> so, so you said it was sort of like a rebirth. So what was like, what were the thought patterns going through your head at that time? If you felt like you sort of had another opportunity, where was you sort of starting from there? And, and I guess you, was you thinking in your head, well, I'm doing this sort of, um, you know, doing the creative dance stuff. Was you kind of questioning whether this was going to be like a viable future for you? I mean, again, like, you can imagine, I was so overwhelmed. Like, you know, imagine never, you know, I had only been in the hospital for, like, you know, your yearly physicals with the physician before sleepaway camp. So, you know, I had no idea what was going on. You know, and for a long time, you know, I couldn't even sit up, so I could only see the ceiling. So I just, you know, I had all these bags on me everywhere and tubes and tubes connected to drains. And doctors would say, oh, when that tube thing stops draining over there, then that will heal. And, you know, stitches that I'd never seen before. So, you know, the medical alone, you know, I was... You know, I had never been exposed to hospitals like this. Um, so that was overwhelming. And then, you know, the doctors waited a while to actually tell me wh- what had gone on, that my stomach burst to the top of the operating room and, you know, I couldn't eat or drink. Um, so, you know, I didn't realize how hungry and thirsty I was until he told me that. And then that was miserable. Um And then, so, you know, the medical stuff was one thing. Then, you know, since I had never experienced before, I was also a teenager. So, like, I... I almost started treating the doctors like my mom that, like, grounded me. Like, I didn't understand why I couldn't just leave. Like, like, what do you mean I can't, you know, get out of bed? Like, what do you mean I have to, you know, all of a sudden I'm waking up and, and like, for my health I have to be responsible about, you know, staying tied to IVs all day? You know, it didn't seem natural. So that was, like, the first phase, sort of confusion and, like, anger um, and then just, like, upsetness. Um, and the thing is, you know, it was a depressing situation and, you know, I don't want to sound like a, you know, a saint when I say this, but my sort of disposition is I like being productive. Like that was sort of who I was before this. You know, I was always, you know, very disciplined with my studies and my acting, you know, and auditioning. Um, so my biggest fear when I woke up besides, you know, all the medical stuff was, oh my God, you know, I'm not going to be relevant. You know, I'm going to be a has-been at 18. I'm never going to have my dreams of doing Broadway. I'm never going to go to college. And so that just sort of fired me up in the other direction. Like I would try to get depressed and then I would get anxious about it because I realized, oh, I'm not getting anything done. I'm just depressed. So, you know, I sort of push myself through. And that also had a dual purpose, too, because, you know, when you can't eat or drink, you need every way you can to be distracted. You know, just keep my fingers busy, keep my mind moving, um, anything. And then you also have 
the thing that I was devastated that you know, I'd never heard about bed rest and losing your muscle mass. I didn't understand why I'd just been in a tap class and then, you know, I couldn't even stand up without my feet shaking. I didn't understand how muscles worked that way. So I was so determined, you know, I you know, I didn't get why like at eighteen I was felt like a 90 year old so you know as soon as the occupational therapist gave me those little beads to put on a string I just string them for hours as soon as the physical therapist gave me those therabands I used them all day and the day I could get out and take a walk you know I put on my yellow Ugg boots and I just walked around the unit five times a day and before you know it like the doctors could never find me because I was always walking around you know I just had that determination just because I didn't want to identify with this life. And that also made me feel like a person. You know, it, it was weird for doctors to come in and just see me as a patient. You know, I was like, no, I'm Amy. You know, I'm, I'm a student. I'm a dancer. I'm all these things. And I just, I, it was, that was the scariest part. I, I couldn't settle for that. Um, and every time I wanted to give up and say, oh, I can't do this anymore, I thought about, oh, my God, you know, what if I really can't do this anymore? Then it's like everything I've worked for and everything I want in life, is that just in the garbage? So I think my love of life sort of conquered the feeling that I couldn't do it anymore, even though it was a hard situation. Mm-hmm. And where do you feel that sort of that sort of mentality came from? Because, I mean, a lot of people in, were probably in that circumstance or have been in that circumstance and they kind of maybe go the opposite way where they actually just like, you know what, sod it. My dreams aren't going to happen. I've had enough. This ain't going to be me. I can't right. walk. Well, well, first of all, you need tough skin as an actress because you get rejected mm-hmm. all the time. So that's some of it. Um, I also was a feisty kid. I got to say, I found this whole movie. I have three older brothers. I'm sort of stalking them and running around. I'm a five-year-old. They're like 15 years older than me. I'm poking them with a stick saying, you'll never give up, right? But that's an aside. That was just sort of me. But, you know, I've always been a go-getter. I've always been someone that sort of knew what I wanted. I was creative since the time I could talk. Um, and, And creating, you know, when you're an artist or, you know, any kind of creator, that's sort of your way of connecting to the world. And for me, like, I'm a people person. I love life and I love the world around me. And by performing, by making art, by writing, by singing, that's how I feel connected to my world. Like, you know, being able to create and do all this art is just one half of the process. The other half is, you know, being able to give it and and seeing what the universe gives back to you and connecting. So I think that sort of inspired me to just keep, you know, creating and and going forward because I needed that connection back. You know, I felt like if I can keep going and producing and, and creating things, you know, I'll feel connected to the world in, in, in some way. Because, you know, think about it. Without connection, without the people we love, without our family, you know, without staying connected to something we love, you know, what are we, you know? And I'm lucky too, because I have an amazing family and I have three brothers and they all stayed in the ICU with me. You know, my parents, you know, my dad left work and he lived in the ICU with us and watched every move the nurses made. But, you know, I can't discount that. You know, I I think um, my family is what kept me going too. We interrupt your regular 
Powerful Nonsense broadcast. How very dare we. I'm sorry. But we have to. Uh, because we have a sponsor. And we're going to give them a cheeky plug. Because they deserve it. And our sponsor is the University of Northampton. And why are the University of Northampton great, Gem? Why? Why? Because they've sponsored our show. <laughs> <laughs> well, that. And also, they're incredibly focused on entrepreneurship. Specifically social entrepreneurship as well. So that's entrepreneurship with a real, like, level of value and a dedication to making the world a better place. You're on a program, aren't you? I am. Yes, I am. What is that program? Well, it's the Social Venture Builder program, which I think is the first time they've done it this year. And it's uh, I'm using my production company, taking my production company through that. And it's all about taking the idea, turning it into a much more viable business, a little bit of funding, a little bit of opportunity to pitch to some potential investors. Um, and, and just really, it's, it's almost like entrepreneurial therapy. It's great. <laughs> Was it really? Do they lay you down on a sofa? <laughs> <laughs> or no. are you trying to say that your business no, is causing you to need no, therapy? No, it's, it's tough love. It's tough love. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> no, but it's, it's been great. I've met some really great people doing that. Um, and I know that the university does so many programs like this. It's like, honestly, genuinely, if you want to do, set up a social enterprise, like Northampton is the place to go. So if you're considering going to university, if you're considering entrepreneurship as a potential uh, career path... Um, and you also want to get a degree, check out Northampton. Northampton.ac.uk. Thanks very much to the University of Northampton for supporting the show. Let's get back to the interview. We saw from what you've said on your website that you kind of took up art therapy while you was in um, hospital. Was you, was you creating art while you was before that, or was it something you just sort of took on, as, as you say, to kind of keep your mind distracted? Yeah, no, nothing serious, but again, like, the the sort of nice part about something that happens that you don't expect is sometimes it forces you to go in other ways. You know, I had a tracheotomy because um, my esophagus was diverted, so... um you know, that meant I couldn't talk for a really long time. And of course, one of my big fears was that, you know, I'd never be able to sing again. And then, you know, I was so weak, forget about dancing and all that stuff. And I had all this time in the hospital. I couldn't eat or drink. Um, It was a miserable time and I had to stay distracted. Um, So for one of the times I was in the hospital, actually, this was after a my uh, 13th surgery where I thought I was all back to normal and it was the last hurrah um, and I took a vacation and I actually had to be air back to Yale Hospital which was so disappointing you know I was there for four months with no hope at all and so my mom just brought these art supplies to the hospital and I did not want anything to do with it and then you know one day, I sort of woke up, and I remember exactly, you know, what I was thinking. It was just one of my lowest points, and I just took out one of the canvases she got, and I just started to paint, which I had never really done before, and I was so upset, and just, you know, I really just said, okay, I'm just going to put everything onto this, and what came out is a painting that, you know, I ended up calling Singing Tree, which, you know, I'm selling prints of now, 
because um, the ironic part is it's such a happy picture. You know, it's of this big, happy dancing tree. And people, you know, it really resonates with people. And for me, that was the ultimate metaphor that, like, art is a very transformative thing. You know, I still felt those ugly, terrible emotions. But when I painted, somehow they were still there. But... I, I, I was experiencing them in like a healthy way. You know, they were on the canvas. And now, you know, when I see that work and it's in galleries and stuff, you know, the pain is gone and only, you know, that memory sort of remains. Um, so, so after that, I was hooked. And I was in the hospital for a few more months after that. So my mom just started buying all these canvases. And every day I'd paint something and I'd put it outside my cubicle and the nurses would start to like look for like my daily painting and then soon enough they'd sort of wheelchair their uh, patients across to see it and I was you know I used everything for collaging I used all the toilet paper from the hospital bathroom and when I finally got out of the art um, out of the art studio, out of the hospital, I actually put up my first um, art show because I'd created 70 mixed media paintings. And that was like the best thing because, you know, art, you know, I could, it was like my diary. So for the first time, all these people could see sort of my emotions just like bare on the canvas. And it was such an amazing feeling to be able to share all that with people that actually I remember, you know, I had this huge art show. Hundreds of people came, which I never expected. You know, I'd been so isolated for all these years that after the art show, I was so happy and it was so overwhelming that I came right back home. And the minute I was home alone again, I just burst out crying because I realized, wow, you know, that's what it feels like to, to be connected in the world again. I, I think that's something you don't really understand, you know, in, in um, once you go through a trauma that, you know, when something happens that isolates you, you know, people are like your lifeline. So mm-hmm. that's what art did. <laughs> am I right in thinking, I might have made this up, but I'm, am <laughs> I right okay. in thinking that there's something that is in every single one of your paintings that there's what that there's something that's in every single one of your paintings have i made that up there's something in one of my paintings yeah there's something i think i might have made this up something that she puts in each yeah like there's oh yeah yeah yeah. no 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 i i didn't know if you meant something like an actual thing well like you know for a while i i don't know if this is what you're talking about but i always put like a teardrop in one of my paintings (laughs) now He's done his research. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm so impressed. Wow. <laughs> so, like, that was... It's interesting, actually. My husband still makes fun of me for this. Um, but, you know, there were a lot of teardrops and broken hearts, and the singing tree one has that, and lightning bolts and all these things, even though the tree is sort of smiling. Um, and that was my way of just leaving my mark of, you know, I feel this joy, but I'm still hurting. And I... The funny thing is, I'm never able to sort of not put that there. It's almost like, you know, healing is a daily process. And even with a joy, there's still pain. And when you go through something, you know, you learn things from it and you heal. But, you know, you'll always have that kind of part. And, you know, that's that's sort of like 
not a terrible thing. It's sort of like the pleasure and pain of life, you know, the hard times make you stronger. And, and it's almost a way of me sort of embracing what I've been through, you know, embracing the scars I still have and saying, you know what, I remember you. So it's almost, it's funny, like if I don't leave a tear on my art now, it's like an itch I can't scratch. <laughs> like um, one time I forgot to put one in and I already put one in a gallery. So I took it home and said that I had to repair something and I added it in. You know, it's, you know, I can't do it. And I think, <laughs> I think I'm like to the point where I can sort of stop doing that. But, you know, it's funny how, you know, art really becomes so personal as like a way of like journaling, mm-hmm. you know, like that is sort of how I make it mine one thing you said about creativity which you which i think is really powerful is like you say that it's a great way for people to to sort of express their pains or kind of kind of express their feelings in a way and i think a lot of well, a lot of what happens is that as people get older, they kind of start telling themselves, well, I, I, or they might even start saying at a young age that, you know what, I just was never the creative type or or maybe they've done art, but it's something they did in their youth and it didn't go anywhere. How important do you think it is for people to kind of embrace that sort of creative side of themselves? Well, first of all, I think my dad's the prime example of that because he still tells me to this day that his fourth grade art teacher told him he could never make art. Um, so I know it happens to the best of us. Um, <laughs> but... But, you know, that's one thing I really want to get, you know, the message across that, you know, creativity and making art isn't just, you know, fancy art on a canvas or even drawing with crayons. Creativity is is really a mindset. Creativity was my lifeline. You know, it was to get through this, I needed to create you know, a path out of this because, you know, there was no roadmap or, you know, there was no diagnosis or timeline. You know, I went from day to day just telling myself next week I'd eat, you know, next week things would be better. So, you know, I created stories about what I'd been through. I pretended I was like a hero on like a hero's journey, like Joseph Campbell's sort of like archetypal hero's journey. You know, I read like adventure novels and put myself in them. So, you know, just thinking creatively you know made me feel like I was doing something for for a higher purpose you know and with art it's it's the same way you know um I you know I wrote this um essay on on my website that I was painting outside and a kid came over to me and he sort of dissed my art you know I was collaging and he told his mom yeah I can do that that's just newspaper and scribbles and (laughs) the mother was absolutely mortified but you know I turned to my husband and I said that is exactly what I want everyone to come away with with my work you know they can do that art is not a big deal and more than that you know besides art not being a big deal like art should be like a big importance to us because I think it's how we can it's almost like an exercise it strengthens our muscles to learn how to you know bounce back to be resilient to 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 learn like how to improvise when life doesn't go the way we plan it so I mean I could give you a whole hour about art but but I think it's something that everyone should try because I don't think they know what they're capable of and I think that is a great metaphor for life that you don't really know what you're capable of until you're sort of forced to do it 
I think one thing that holds a lot of people back, especially when it comes to art, whether it's music, whether it's like you say painting or something like that, is that a lot of people already judge themselves before they've right. given it given an opportunity for somebody else to maybe appreciate that work. Right, like I can't do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like you say, you was in hospital and I guess at that time you were just making this art for yourself where I think a lot of people get sort of caught up in thinking straight away about oh well is this good enough they compare it to other people or they kind of they they already say well this ain't good enough i'm not going to put it out there rather than letting somebody have the opportunity to to enjoy it well you know uh like an exercise that i tell people to do is just get out a piece of scrap paper draw it up i you know for 10 minutes draw and tell yourself in 10 minutes you're gonna crumple it up and throw it away you know and do whatever you want and and you're gonna throw it away in 10 minutes so who cares and you know i find that you know most people end up not but i think you're right it's when we set the standards of like oh this is art you know it's gonna or or more than that like well, why do I need to do this? Or what am I going to be doing, you know, with this? You know, am I going to hang it on my fridge? But, you know, I think just like, you know, making a big business decision or having a big goal, you know, what do you say? You say start with one little baby step. Don't think about the whole big picture. You know, I think that's perfect. Start with a doodle. You know, take a napkin, you know, at the bar and just start doodling and and it's a great way besides you know it leading to something better sometimes it's just a great way to relax you know and and see what's really going on for me that's really what art was you know I think the body especially through trauma or any hard time you know it keeps a lot of memories and stuff that that you don't really think about and the way to really you know know they're there is through things where you're not really consciously thinking you know so I think that art and and things like that that where your mind isn't involved is a way to really start to you know discover those things there we are part one of our interview with Amy Ostreicher I love saying that name so much fun I hope you enjoyed that part of the tale got loads more goodness coming for you in part two so thanks for listening guys uh what can they do for us gem between shows well what we'd love you to do is we've actually put loads of buttons on the website new buttons shiny actually oh, there were going to be shiny glossy buttons but wayne told me to go with the flat it's just too too out there too hollywood for us <laughs> so we've stuck with the flat buttons and if you want to subscribe to the show head over to the website and you can click we've got a button on there or if you find us into itunes make sure you hit that subscribe button because we want you to come back every week yeah and that way you won't miss an episode which is great so thanks for tuning in we are very happy that you have and that you come and play with us every week (laughs) on a friday 7am gmt like what i did there yeah that's right so until next time stay classy see you later